Today is the 2nd of April, 2022. This is the uh, first Taisho of our two-day urban retreat. And it's a continuation of um, a conversation started two weeks ago on a Tuesday, um, working with panic and anxiety. In that, in that first talk, um, the main uh, text that we looked at was um, an article by Mingyur Rinpoche, How I Stopped My Panic Attacks. And um, in that article, he explores um, three main ways to work with panic attacks, listening to sounds, uh, changing the channel, just changing the thoughts that go along with the panic, and breaking down the experience into its, its constituent parts. And the, 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 really the starting point for our talk today is um, that eventually we, we have to sort of address the root cause of our disease. And that's going to be the main topic of the, of the talk. But the, just a sort of footnote um, to that first talk. Um, last weekend, we were at the Par Homestead for a book launch, and um, there was also an exhibition there by John Reynolds, a painter, works in many media. Um, and as part of this exhibition, there were two really big canvases quoting uh, Greta Turnberry and her, her now famous words, I want you to panic. Of course, she's talking about our response to climate change. And I uh, thought about this, it was challenging having just given a talk on how I, spent, I stopped my panic attacks. Uh, I question what came up was, did, does Greta Turnberry really want us to not panic? to want us to panic? Uh, or is it more of a, um, a kind of rhetorical move to get our attention? Uh, surely she wants us to be, be deeply concerned about what is happening, moved to action, uh, recognizing this uh, clear and present danger, we could say, and responding to that. We think that this is the case because panic attacks are not particularly productive or creative. They can, apart from being excruciatingly painful, they are often also paralyzing. We get completely stuck. So we think, okay, this is a, this, I want you to panic is she surely doesn't want us to get stuck. And you could see some of the things that people do as, as ways of avoiding it, maybe feeling a, a feeling of panic. Just climate change denial could, could be um, motivated by that, that wish to avoid the uncomfortable feelings of panicking. But if we look into Greek mythology, we find that, that panic 
is, is ruled over by the god Pan. And, and this, this, when, when something is ruled over by a god, it suggests that it's, it's very deeply embedded in us. Archetypal, we would say. The god Pan is a force of nature, quite fearsome with his hooves and his horns, powerful. And might, this might give us a different perspective on panic, a deeper meaning, and perhaps, um, perhaps we do need to panic, or at least look into the panicky feelings that we might have. Just a little bit from um, a long essay by James Hillman, a, he's a post-Jungian, he's passed away now, but he was a, um, a post-Jungian therapist and, and thinker, writer, prolific writer. Um, and in, he, he, it's a very interesting article by him, an essay on Pan as, as it appears in, as an introduction to a book called Pan and the Nightmare. And um, he says of, of Pan that his physical location is obscure caves, so within the, the rocks of the earth, um, where he could be encountered in the recesses where impulse resides, the dark holes of the psyche where desire and panic arise. Above all, we must remember that the pan experience, which includes panic in it, um, is beyond the control of the willing subject and his ego psychology. In the Eros and Psyche tale told by Apuleius, now Eros is the god of um, connection, of, of um, uh, relationship, and Psyche um, is the Greek word for the soul, also for butterfly. So in the Eros and Psyche tale told by Apuleius, Pan protects Psyche from suicide. The soul, disconsolate, its love gone, divine help denied, panics. Psyche throws herself away into the river, which refuses her. In that same moment of panic, Pan appears, which, and with his other reflective side, Echo, brings home to the soul some natural truths. So this other aspect of Pan is Echo, the one who, who returns sounds. Pan is both destroyer and preserver, and the two aspects appear to Psyche in close approximation. When we panic, we can never know whether it may not be the first movement of nature that will yield if we can hear the echo of reflection, a new insight into nature. 
a new insight into nature, and surely this is what we need. And what Greta Turnberry is urging us to find is a, is a new relationship, a new insight into nature. And of course, this nature, and this is the very strong point made in the, the pan myths, is not just out there, but in here too, the nature of our psyche. Later, Hillman says, panic will always exist because it is rooted in human nature. For where panic is, there too is pan. When the soul panics, as in the story of Psyche's near suicide, Pan reveals himself with the wisdom of nature. To be fearless, without anxieties, without dread, invulnerable to panic, would mean a loss of instinct, loss of connection with Pan. In a, when something threatens, it is, it is healthy to... Um, experience fear. Pan's hour was always noon. At this moment, he would appear in the blaze and shimmer of midday, startling men and animals into blind terror. Noon, the zenith of the day, is the uncanny moment when I and my shadow are one. My shadow, what I deny, what I try to push out of my my uh, sense of self. Those un unpleasant parts of ourselves that we'd rather not own. You could say that we're, we're hum, humans collectively are, are on a kind of suicidal trajectory in terms of climate change because um, survival is probably our deepest instinct and we're, we continue to act in ways that threaten our survival and the survival of other species. I'd say we're a little bit like, like Nero fiddling while Rome burns. And that brings up this call for us to reflect, which is the, the, the nature of echo, this other side of pan, to listen and to reflect back. And these, these um, different practices that Mingyur uh, Rinpoche suggests, actually each of them have an element of reflection within them not just to, to be in a blind panic, but to, to listen and look and uh, reflect on what is going on when we panic or when we're feeling anxiety. Hillman talks especially about our transcending notions of what is in, inner and outer. He says, we shall not be able to find our way back to harmony with nature through the study of it alone. 
Though our major concern is ecological, it cannot be solved through ecology alone. The importance of technology and scientific knowledge for protecting nature's processes goes without saying, but part of the ecological field is human nature, in whose psyche the archetypes dominate. If pan is suppressed there, nature and instinct will go astray, no matter how we strain on rational th levels to set things right. In order to restore, conserve, and promote nature out there, nature in here must also be restored, conserved, and promoted to precisely the same degree. Otherwise, our perceptions of nature out there, our actions upon it, and our reactions to it will continue to show the same mangled exaggerations of inadequate instinct as in the past. Without pan, our good intentions to rectify past mistakes will only perpetuate them in other forms. Nature is as, as much in here as out there. True nature, we say, Zen. Let's turn now to um, our text for today, which is called Light Comes Through, Buddhist Teachings on Awakening to Our Natural Intelligence. And it's by another uh, Rinpoche, Zigar Kongtrul. And uh, the chapter we're going to look at is precisely about... Um, facing our fears and, and exploring the roots of our fear and anxiety. Um, just to, to clarify, um, fear is usually, it means um, a reaction to something that, is, that it has an object, a, an object of our fear, whereas anxiety is more pervasive. There's no uh, necessarily object out there um, but the, the, the feeling of fear continues. And then panic, you could say, is an escalated form of anxiety where it starts to uh, feed on itself in these vicious cycles. In, in Buddhism, of course, there is a strong emphasis on... Uh, suffering as being at the center of the, of the teaching and of the practice. Dukkha is the, is the Sanskrit and it's probably the closest translation is, is something like unsatisfactoriness. But um, sometimes also angst is the, is the best way of um, translating this Dukkha. Existential anxiety, we could say. A little bit more from Hillman on that. Contemporary existential philosophy gives to anxiety, dread, or angst a more intentional, a more fulsome interpretation. Angst reveals man's fundamental ontological situation. 
his connection with not being, so that all fear is not just dread of death, but of the nothing on which all being is based. Fear thus becomes the reflection and consciousness of a universal reality. This, you'd say this, this, this fundamental um, dukkha that generates angst. So it's right at the core of our practice. Okay, now to, to our chapter, which is called The Haunted Dominion of the Mind. And the sub subheading is Shaken from Within. In old Tibet, practitioners went to charnel grounds, springs, haunted houses, haunted trees, and so on, in order to reveal how deeply their practice had cut to the core of their fears and attachments. Being, being part of a mainly um, a secular society, rationalist society, these may not be the best places for us to test our um, uh, dropping away of our fears and attachments um, because we may, if we're not afraid of ghosts, then we won't get afraid when we go and sit in the cemetery. But we can probably each of us think of uh, places that we could go which would be challenging. Some, somebody I was talking to recently said that um, he found it really difficult to talk to people with mental illness, that it was really challenging for him. Or, or uh, perhaps going into a war zone, exposing ourselves to, to the suffering and, and the fear of death that would come up in a war zone. Becoming a refugee might be suddenly being having no no home or um, protection. The practice of cutting through our deepest attachments and fears to their core is called Nyensa Chodpa which means cutting through the haunted dominion of the mind. It is not that I am encouraging you to go to these haunted places to test yourself, but the view behind Nyensa Chodpa is important for all practitioners to understand because until we are challenged, we don't know how deep our practice has gone. Until we are challenged, we don't know how deep our practice has gone. Um, public humiliation might be up there. Think of people who, who make, it, make some comment on Facebook or other social media and then get vilified for it. So praise and blame are, are very powerful for many of us. Even just being criticized by somebody that we respect can be very painful. 
He continues, we may be established practitioners. We may be comfortable with our practice and working with our minds. Everything could be going smoothly. As my teacher, Dilgo Kense Rinpoche, used to say, practice is easy when the sun is on your back and your belly is full. What about when you're hungry and cold? But when difficult circumstances arise and we are completely shaken from within, when we hit rock bottom, when something is haunting us and we feel completely vulnerable and exposed, exposed to all our neuroses, then it's a different story. What, what it must be like for the people in Ukraine remember before the war started they would be interviewing people in Kyiv and they were saying oh no we're sure that there won't be an invasion and whole, then the whole world is turned upside down what if, what if New Zealand was being invaded what if Australia had run out of water or China decided to build itself a Pacific Empire what then? Challenging circumstances ex expose us to just how much we have learned from studying and practicing the Buddha Dharma and how much we have learned from our meditation practice and the experience of our mind. But we don't have to place ourselves in challenging external circumstances to uncover our hidden fears and attachments. We don't need to wait for our bliss bubble to pop, for a dear one to die, or to find out we have a fatal disease. There is plenty of opportunity to practice Nyensa Chodpa right here in our own minds. There's plenty of opportunity because there is plenty of self-clinging. It's, it's so important that we are as honest as we can be about um, the nature of our thoughts, to really try and, and, and see them clearly and see what is behind them, to, to recognize the dukkha in our, in our thinking processes. It is the world of self and all the hopes and fears that come with trying to secure it. Our efforts to secure the self give rise to all the negative emotions. If we were not so concerned with cherishing and providing for the self, there would be no reason for attachment. Aggression, too, would have no reason to arise if there were no self to protect. And jealousy, which shows up whenever we think the self is lacking something, would have no impetus to eat away at our inner peace because we would be content with the natural richness and confidence of our own mind. If we had no sh need to shield all of the embarrassing things about the self that, we make us, that make us so insecure, we would have no cause for arrogance or its, or its inverse embarrassment and shame. 
Finally, if we were not so fixated on the self, we could rely on an innate intelligence rather than letting our stupidity escort us through the same activities that bring us so much pain time and time again. Here he's laying out um, what, what are called the five poisons and in um, Vajrayana practice. We usually um, think in terms of three, greed, anger, and delusion. Um, the Tibetans add arrogance and jealousy as, as you know, four and five. If we were not so fixated on the self, we could rely on our innate intelligence rather than letting our stupidity ex escort us through the same activities that bring us so much pain time and time again. The, the very uh, first seven-day session I attended, I remember becoming so acutely aware of the, the talk that was growing on in my head almost, well, actually really constantly, uh, all to do with the self. How are the, how are the monitors seeing me? What is, the, what is the impression I'm making to the teacher? Um, just these sorts of painful self-talk self over and over again. What, what is called in, in uh, uh, the Buddhist sort of map of, of the mind, uh, persistent eye awareness. We, we create our sense of I moment by moment through this talk, this self-talk, this narrative. So emotions themselves are not the cause of the problem. Yet, until we reach down to the very root of our negative emotions, they will be there, standing in line, waiting to save us from our fundamental insecurities. Unless we let go of grasping to the self with all its egoistical scheming, all this trying to figure out how to save the self in the usual manner, we will only continue to enforce a stronger and stronger belief in the solidity of the self. If the aim of practice is to free ourselves from our endless insecurities, then we must cut through self-clinging. Until we do, self-clinging will define our relationship with the world, whether it be the inner world of our own mind or the world outside of us. So this is, we have to be as vigilant as we can be about this. Um, what, what, is it, what is motivating us in our practice? Are we uh, truly loosening our self-clinging or are we surreptitiously reinforcing it? From the perspective of the self, the world is either for us or against us. If it is for us, its purpose is to feed our infinite attachments. 
If it is against us, it is to be rejected and it adds to our infinite paranoia. I think of um, George Bush. Um, I, think it, I think it was George Bush after 9-11 who said, if you're not for us, you're against us. That, that, that under pressure, that dualistic mind reinforcing itself. It is either our friend or our enemy, something to lure in or reject. The stronger we cling to a self, the stronger our belief grow, grows in a solid, objective world that exists separate from us. The more we see it as solid and separate, the more the world haunts us. We are haunted by what we want from the world, and we are haunted by our struggle to protect ourselves from it. Think of that, those lines that we just chanted. Like a child of rich birth, wandering poor on this earth. The many problems we see in the larger world today and also encounter in our personal lives spring from the belief that the enemy or threat is outside of us. This split occurs when we forget how deeply connected we are to others and the world around us. This is not to say that mind and the phenomenal world are one and that everything we experience is a mere figment of our imagination. It simply means that, we believe, that what we believe to be a self and what we believe to be other than self are inextricably linked. And that, in truth, the self can only exist in relation to other. Seeing them as separate is really the most primitive way of viewing and engaging our lives. Can, can we, in our prayers for Ukraine, include Putin and Biden? Can we, can we truly wish them a way out of this? Can we, can we really recognize and, and hold in our minds that as well as a nation of traumatized Ukrainians, there'll be a whole generation of young men from the Russian armed forces who will come out of this with, with post-traumatic stress disorder. Just as, they, as thousands of servicemen uh, after Afghanistan and, and Iraq wars came out devastated by uh, PTSD. The inner dev devastation of these, these um, service people really mirrors the devastation they leave behind in the countries where they go. Well, 
our time is up. We'll continue this this um, topic tomorrow in Taisho. I will stop now and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain all beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions, I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha, I vow to attain.